0: Well, I thank you all for enduring that. uh, It is a testimony song in my life that God has been good. God's been very good to me. I'll probably get into some of my life and testimony uh, a little bit later and through some of our hard times. But uh, as for tonight, we've chosen to go to 2 Timothy chapter number 4. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. We'll be speaking to you from this passage of Scripture, which is the last book that was written to Timothy from the Apostle Paul. And when you find your place in God's Word, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We'll read the first eight verses of 2 Timothy 4. Verse 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, Who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom? Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables." But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only but unto all them also that love His appearing. Let's bow for prayer. Our Father, we humble ourselves in the midst of this congregation. And Lord, we humbly ask for Your presence in this place. I pray, Lord, that You'd move upon every heart tonight. I pray as we preach Your Word that You'd draw people to Your side, to Yourself. Forgive us where we fail You, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you do a work that only You can do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We'll try to get through this passage uh, tonight, and we're not going to take time to try to exegete every verse here. We're going to focus on verses 6 and 7, probably mostly in verse number 6. But we would be amiss to not comment on the things that we find in 2 Timothy 4, which is applicable to all of us. First of all, Paul is writing to his son in the faith. Timothy was his disciple. He believed in discipleship. Paul, while he had no marriage and no children, he considered Timothy to be his son. And around God's family, that's the way things should be. We should be a church family, right? Those that are a part of the same church should treat each other as brother and sister. If you go to 1 Timothy chapter 5, which, well, you're right there, you might as well. Just a few pages back, I am a preacher. Verse number 1 of 1 Timothy 5. The Bible here is not speaking about an elder as a pastor. It's speaking of an elder as an older man. Some of you might be old enough to be my father. As a rule, if you are old enough to be my father, I will not treat you as a younger man. I'll talk to you as an older man, with respect, like I would my dad. You younger men, if I punch you in the shoulder and you punch me in the shoulder, well, I'm still your age a little bit, and I like to think of that, but there'll probably come a time when you wouldn't treat me as a brother. Okay? There might be some church... And in a church where I grew up, there was a lot of elderly women—women that were old enough to be my grandma. You might see me give them women a kiss on the cheek, not an unholy kiss, but a kiss like I would give to my brother if my my brother's wife died—a kiss on his forehead, not an immoral kiss, but a way that you treat someone like a mother. Okay, that's what the first two verses here are talking about: treating people in the church like family. Yeah, that's right. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. The younger men as brethren. Verse number two, the elder women as mothers. Treat the elder women as a mother. So I'm not going to guess your age, ladies. I've learned about that. Never ask a woman if she's pregnant. (laughs) Never ask a woman her age. You never do that. Don't do that. It's kind of like that guy who went out fishing, and he put his long fishing poles in the back of a pickup truck, and he shut the back of the pickup truck and snapped off the end of his fishing poles. And then he looked at the camera, and he said, don't do that. Don't ask a woman her age. It's not good. Verse number three, the elder women as mothers, the younger women as sisters. You've got a problem if you ever look at your sister as not a sister. I have an older sister. I never looked at her as an object of affection, if you will, like I wanted to date my sister. Absolutely not. She's my sister. That's the way God tells me to treat younger women in the church as a sister. You'd never look at a sister impurely. A lot of people go wrong in these areas in the church. Verse number 3 talks about honoring widows that were widow indeeds. deeds. We're not going to go into all these things, but all I'm saying is that in the church, we're supposed to treat people like their family, even if we may not be blood family. Some people can't separate that. I've got to be honest with you, I haven't gone to church with my blood family for many, many years. The people who I've spent the most time with are God's people. Many times they're closer to me in my life than my natural family, my blood family. But we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're family. You know, in families we teach about forgiveness and love. That's the first place where you practice forgiveness and love. And some people, they forget about all of that when they come to church. Wait a minute, we're supposed to treat people like we treat our family. People have a real issue with that. You see a lot of unjust treatment. You know, the Bible says this all over the Bible. And this is, you know, kind of a, an issue with me is that we're not supposed to be respecter of persons. That means if you require somebody to discipline their kids when you don't discipline your kids, then you're a respecter of persons. If your family gets treated one way when they make a mistake and another person's family gets treated another way when they make a mistake, that means you're a respecter of persons. God doesn't honor that, and He doesn't like it. It doesn't matter if it's the preacher. doesn't matter if it's a no- normal church member, somebody maybe not be on staff. God wants us to treat people in the church house as brothers and sisters. That's what we've become, a part of God's family. But the Bible talks about becoming a part of God's family by faith. And I'm on a big rabbit trail here, but the Bible says this, but as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Aren't you thankful you became a part of the family? Aren't you glad that God didn't kick you out of the family when you made your first mistake after you got saved? Well, we ought to remember those things. You know, as God's people, we're supposed to be loving and kind and picking people up when they fall. But if you turn your Bible back to 2 Timothy chapter number 4, I ran that rabbit trail just to set the scene for Paul and Timothy not being blood relation, but Paul treated Timothy as a son in the faith. He cared for Timothy deeply. He's about, Paul's about to take his last journey. He's about ready to depart this life. And he's talking to his son, as other people in the Bible were able to do. You know, one of the greatest blessings you may have in life is to be able to give your children a charge before you go on to meet the Lord. If you're still in your right mind during those days, before they put you on the medication to take away your pain or whatever they're going to do to your end-of-life care, if you still have your mental faculties, it'll be a wonderful thing if you're able to charge your children before you go on to glory. And let me encourage those of you who are getting older. If you have not taken the time to give your testimony to your children, please do it now. Yes, please tell your children how you got saved. If you have a wayward son or daughter, take an opportunity gently to let them know what your wishes for them are. Don't wait till it's too late, till you can't think cognitively anymore to give those messages. David was able to talk to Solomon at the end of his life, and he said, son, it's now your time to be a man. It's now your time to run. My day is done, now it's your time. And he said, gird thyself up as a man. He run your race. So here Paul's doing the same thing. He's setting his spiritual house in order. He's trying to instruct Timothy. Hey, Timothy, here's some things that you need to know before I go on to meet with the Lord. Verse number one, he charges Timothy, and he reminds him who we serve, the Lord. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, and he reminds Timothy of the coming judgment. Who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom? This is referring to the the Lord being the judge of the lost and the saved. The Bible says this, So we know and we know that every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. You will give an account of yourself to God, lost or saved. You're going to stand at a judgment. Turn your Bible to John chapter number 5. John 5. Another preacher's rabbit trail. My forgiveness. John chapter number 5. I believe I have the right passage in the Bible. One of the marvel knots in the Bible. Marvel, or John chapter 5 and verse 28. As we read, I want you to think about what the Scripture is saying here in the Gospel of John. Verse 28. Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. Now it's talking about two different judgments right here. And shall come forth, verse 29, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Two judgments. In the Bible there are two judgments. One of them is known as the great white throne judgment. You can read about this in Revelation chapter number 20. Where from the Isle of Patmos, John saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, uh, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And he saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books. That's the great white throne judgment. And anybody at that judgment was lost when they died. And they cannot be saved. There is no repentance offered beyond the grave. You get the space of your life to repent, to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, to be forgiven of your sins, to have the opportunity to go to the resurrection of life, and to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ, where you will not be judged for your sins, you'll be judged for your works that you did. See, there's two judgments. I, you, no matter what you say, the judgment seat of Christ isn't going to be a place where a bunch of Christians are doing jumping jacks and singing glory to God all over. There's going to be people ashamed at that judgment because they didn't do anything for the Lord. Or they did things with the wrong motivations and God knows what's in your heart and all that stuff's going to come out at the judgment because the Lord's going to tell you what's going on in your heart. That's what the Word of God is. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So if you have an ulterior motive, you may fake men, but you will not fake out God. That's what happens when your works get put to the test and it's either going to get burnt up as wood, hay, and stubble or it's going to come out as gold, jewels, and precious stones. I'd rather still be at that judgment, which the Bible calls the terror of the Lord, knowing the terror of the Lord, than to wind up at the great white throne and to be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. So Paul reminds Timothy in verse number 1, That there is a coming judgment, and that's good for every one of us to understand. There is a coming judgment, and we will answer to God for the things we do, specifically with what we've done with Jesus Christ in this life. Verse number 2, he tells Timothy and reminds him of his responsibility to preach the word. I believe preaching is crying aloud and sparing not. Isaiah 58, cry aloud, spare not. You know, lift up thy voice like a trumpet. You can read about it all, read all about it. Isaiah chapter 58, when Paul lifted up his voice and preached, when Jesus lifted up his voice and preached, people paid attention. Preaching is not done by perfect men, say Lord Jesus Christ. It's done by imperfect men. But God accomplishes his purposes through preaching, and he tells them to preach what? Preach the word. Don't preach opinion. Take people to chapter and verse. Chapter and verse. I'm a Bible preacher. I believe the power's in the Bible. It's not because I'm a good orator. Sometimes I'm not. And I could be a lot better. I've heard a lot better preachers than myself. My, I don't have the power. The book has the power. I believe in the book. I believe in the power of the book. Preach the word. And he says this, be instant in season, out of season. Yeah. Be instant when people enjoy it, and be in, instant when it's not, when they don't enjoy it. It's out of season to preach against certain sins. You know, there's a lot of things going on in this country that God is not in favor of. There's a lot of things going on, you know, all over the place that God's not in favor of. And when you start naming sins, people start to get a little bit nervous. Uh I try not to name sins lest they be found in the Scripture. Because if the Scripture declares things as sinful, let's say we go to Galatians chapter 5 and it says, "...now the works of the flesh which are manifest, and they are these." adultery fornication lasciviousness and it goes on and on it tells us what exactly the works of the flesh are yeah. you know the bible declares throughout the scripture proverbs chapter 6 these six things doth the lord hate yea seven are abomination unto him a proud look a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood we just voted on stuff like that yesterday amen yeah. hands that shed innocent blood uh, a, a heart that deviseth wicked imagination god hates that the Bible says it's a, an abomination to the Lord for he that soweth discord among the brethren. And he really doesn't like that. Yeah. These are things that we might name from the scripture. It might be out of season, but Paul told Timothy, you preach it in season, out of season. Reprove, uh, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. We won't take time to get into what all those words mean, but these were the responsibilities of the preacher. He warns Timothy in verse 3 that there's a coming time, and the time has come when people don't want sound doctrine. They want things that are going on that are easy to hear. Tickle our ears, preacher. Tell us things that are easy to hear. Yeah. Let us know how good we are. And many churches are growing and bursting at the seams. But I learned a long time ago that just because an animal on the side of the road is growing doesn't mean it's living. Wow. Good. Years ago, I picked up a couple of dead raccoons on the road for a church activity. And uh, it was a great thing for me to do. I, I put a p- big <laughs> pair of teeth in. I was a motivational speaker at our church. I was trying to get people out to go to friend day. And uh, I, I, uh, I, they called me Boudreaux. I had these big fake teeth in, and I grabbed these two dead raccoons. They were big, brethren. They were a whole lot bigger then than when they first got killed. And I put them in the trunk of my car in a garbage bag, and me and my wife went out with one of them old-style camcorders, and I had a cowboy hat on my head, and I was talking like I was from the South. And I, I, laid, those, I laid those dead raccoons out right on a, a strip where somebody had burned out toward the pastor's house and I I said okay this is perfect so I had Loretta get out and she was videotaping me and she wasn't for the whole thing she's not she doesn't have the humor that I have but I said would you look at this driver I said not one but he got two raccoons and I laid them raccoons right on that racing strip right there had made it look like somebody had peeled out and run over two raccoons well I just heard a story about some guy down in Alabama who had put a, a deer, which he thought was dead, in his back seat. You ever known these rednecks and they hit, see a, de- a deer and they put him in the back seat of their car and, you know, this guy found out the deer wasn't dead. He was just knocked out. And so uh, the deer got up and beat the fella to death right in his front seat. It was a true story. And, I mean, the moral of the story is you don't want to make, you need to make sure your roadkill is properly dead. So I took out my high point forty-five and loaded it to the full, and I was showing people how to make sure your roadkill's properly dead before you cook it. And so I unloaded that forty-five on these dead raccoons, and then I took them to the preacher's house and acted like I used his grill to grill up these dead raccoons. (laughs) And the moral of the story was, we were trying to get people to come to church. You know, uh, I, I don't normally do things that are humorous like that anymore. I had way too much time on my hands back in them days. But what I'm saying is, is that, when something dies, sometimes they grow a little bigger. I tried to cut open a dead deer one time that was given to me, and man, when I cut and made that first cut, I smelled something pretty fiercely bad. And for some reason when I sometimes flip the channels on TV and see these preachers who look like they have teeth that look like the keys on a grand piano and their church is busting at the seams, and they never use the word sin. And they don't believe in hell, and they won't say hell. And they tell everybody, no matter how wicked they are, that everything's cool between them and God. And God loves you, and He wants you to be rich. And He wants you to be blessed. The first thing God wants you to do is to be saved. You can be rich and not be saved. And it doesn't matter how rich you are if you don't go to heaven when you die. And so there's a difference between swelling and growing. And many churches today have forsaken the old paths of preaching on sin and salvation, Because they want to fill the house with people who enjoy not being preached to. In fact, churches have been started around this country that were started by marketing surveys and not by the Word of God. They'll baptize you any way you want to be baptized. You want to be sprinkled? You want to be poured on? You want to be immersed? you want to be immersed by your father, your brother, your husband? Do you want to... You, don't want to, you want to do this? You want to do that? How do you want church? We don't want preaching. We want a dancing. And we, we, want, we want plays. We want 15-minute sermons. We want services on Saturday night and not Sunday. We want, to do, we want more activities than we want the spiritual things. And hey, some of those churches are doing awfully well. The offerings are coming in. They're doing great. But Paul said the time will come, in verse number 3, and it has, when people will not endure sound doctrine... They'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they turn people's ears away from the truth. In verse 5, he tells Timothy to do several things. He tells him to watch, to endure, to do the work, and make proof of his own ministry. And all of us who are ministers ought to be doing that. We ought to be doing our own. We ought to be living our ministries out, reaching people, doing what we can to be an influence on the generation that we are influencing here. But in verse number 6, Paul says these words, and this tells us that Paul had a greater hope. You know, death wasn't feared by Paul. Some people get to a point where they're fearing death. Yeah. I'm ministering to a lady right now, and she's, she's nearing the day when she's going to be meeting the Lord, and she's starting to get these what we would call night frights. She's, she's got a bad heart. It's not going to get any better. Her body's not going to get any better. It's been worn out by years of, of living, and God doesn't design us to live forever. Right. We're all going to go some way, sometime. But I hope that you're like Paul. I hope that you could say, when you're coming to the end of your life, if you can prepare for the day of your death, that, hey, I'm ready. Paul said, I'm ready. Paul was ready for a lot of things in his life. In verse number 6, he says, for I am ready to be offered. One thing that we know that Paul was ready for, I believe that he was ready for salvation. He was ready for salvation in Acts chapter number 9. Turn your Bible quickly back to Acts chapter number 9. Paul wasn't just ready to go to heaven. The reason he was ready to go to heaven is because of this story right here in Acts chapter number 9. Acts chapter number 9 tells you a story of a man of, named Saul of Tarsus. The Bible tells you what he was doing when the Lord found him on the road to Damascus. Yeah. Right. Bible says in verse 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way whether they be men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Paul was going after men and women. He's coming after you and your wife, sir. You're a Christian. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You were a part of the church. He was wanting to put your wife in handcuffs and take her back to Jerusalem and put her in jail in a rat-infested prison, not to be fed well, not to be treated properly properly, he was going after anybody who believed in Christ because he hated these people. But something had been going on in Paul's in Saul's heart that only he knew. The Bible talks about in verse 3 as Paul journeyed toward this road, there came a light that shined from heaven, and he fell to the earth in verse 4 and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? What did he say next? Who art thou, Lord? The Lord said, "I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest." And then the Lord said something that only Him and Saul would have known. He said, "It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. It's hard for you to fight against Holy Ghost conviction." See, the Lord layered the boom on Paul before, on Saul before. The only time I can think of when the Lord started laying the boom down on Saul was when he saw Stephen get stoned two chapters before in Acts 7. He was holding the coats of those who were throwing the rocks at Stephen. And he saw Stephen look up to heaven and and, and see the Lord receiving Stephen. And I believe that this whole situation, the sermon of Stephen, touched Saul's heart. The death of Stephen had done something in Saul and and he knew it. And Jesus says, it's hard for you. It is hard to fight Holy Ghost conviction. I am not a Calvinist. I do believe that you can resist the Holy Ghost. In fact, that came from Stephen's sermon. If you can't resist the Holy Ghost, why is one of the best preachers of the New Testament preaching that you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. (laughs) You're just like daddy. That's always a good good thing to say to your spouse, right? (laughs) You're acting just like your mom or dad. That is not a good way to handle a family fight. Here, if you look at what Paul or Saul responds to in verse number 6, if you find the sinner's prayer in this passage of Scripture, I'd like to hear it. If you find where he said, Lord, I'm asking you to save me at this point, I'd like to see it. But something happened between verses number 5 when the Lord told Saul what was going on in verse number 6 when he trembling and astonished said this, a total change in attitude from verse 1, Lord! What wilt thou have me to do? If that's not a cry of a saved person, I'd, I'd ask you to show me what is. is. First he's breathing threatenings and slaughters. Now he's saying, Lord, what would you have me to do? And the Lord tells him to go on into the town to wait. And there he was baptized in water by a guy who called this man brother. Yeah. Ananias called him brother. I preach a, a message from this for, uh, called From a Blasphemer to a Brother. <laughs> Isn't it something how the Lord can change somebody in just a few short verses, a few short days? from being outside of the family of God to being a brother in Christ. Saul was ready for salvation. You know, when Ananias heard that he was going to have to tell Saul these things, in verse number 15 of this same passage, Acts 9 and 15, he's arguing with the Lord because he'd heard some of these, th- these bad things about, the Lord, or about Saul uh, about, uh, to the Lord. He heard these bad things about Saul, and he said, Lord, I'm not sure about this. And the Lord said in verse 15, Go thy way for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul was not only ready for salvation but in life he was ready to suffer. Many Christians aren't willing to go through anything for the Lord. No rejection. No friend rejection. No standing for the Lord. No rejecting you know, worldly living, worldliness. They're not willing to reject any of those things because, hey, suffering for the Lord wasn't a part of it. But Saul was ready to suffer. He was ready for salvation. He was ready for suffer- for suffering. He was ready for service. In Acts chapter number 16, you have the Macedonian call where he saw in a vision that these people said, come over into Macedonia and help us. And immediately he got up and he went over there yeah. to preach the gospel to those people because that's how God delivers his help through the preaching of the word of God so he was ready for suffering he was ready for service and lastly he's talking about it here I'm ready to be offered I'm ready for shipping out he's ready to leave this life you know all the events that take place with you in this life should prepare you for meeting the Lord and getting to see him in eternity some of us are going to live a long and natural life and will die a natural death some of us will not You young people that are sitting here, death is no respecter of persons. It could touch you. I was in a room probably less this size when I was in the seventh grade, and I had a high school teacher tell me, as a Christian school, and he said, I'd be a fool to say that all you, we had 32 kids in the class that day. He said, I'd be a fool to say that all of you will live to see graduation. And in a seventh grade heart, I said, who is this guy, think he is, to say that some of us may not live to see graduation. I thought he was a fool to say such a thing. We're all so young. What could happen to anybody in this room? Three years later, a young man went on to Florida on spring break with his family. A kid that was sitting in that room, his name was Dewey Wheeler. Dewey went on spring break with, on vacation and got into the ocean water, and a big wave came by and pinned him to the ground, and 30 minutes later, his family pulled his dead body from the water. Dewey left for spring break and never came back. Didn't know when he shut his locker that last time. This is my last time going to be here. It's the first time in my life I saw somebody at a funeral who looked like he hadn't slept in many days with great grief, burying a high school student. Later, two years later after that, there was a girl in the room named Angela who came down with an eating disorder. She died very, very skinny, but she had an incurable illness of some sort. She died in the 11th grade. I switched schools later on, And a young man that was in my class ran a stop sign in front of an 18-wheel truck, and he he was killed that year in my senior class. I also saw his dad mourning his death. Young people, you don't know when your next day is, and that's why it's good for you to know when you're shipping out and if you're good to go, if you're ready to be offered. That's why you don't put off salvation, because tomorrow's not promised to anybody. You say, well, you're trying to scare me into getting saved. I'm not trying to scare you into anything. I'm just telling you that death is no respecter of persons, and if God's working on your heart for salvation, you need to respond to God when He's talking to you. Amen. Earlier this week, we were having a staff meeting here at the church where they were talking to me about how things are done, and a closet door ended up opening up. And inside that closet door, there's a little sign that God used in my life. It wasn't the same sign, but it looked just the same. It, it had the verse on it where it said, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Amen. And See, young people, when I grew up, I didn't have a cell phone. And we didn't have a TV in my room or a radio. I wasn't allowed to have those things. But when I went to church and walked down the basement stairs to go to junior church or to Sunday school class, they had that verse hanging up on the wall. And God took that verse, and in the heart of the night in the dark of night, I'd lay down in bed and think about it. What, what would it matter if I became a rich man, but then died and went to hell? Because that verse spoke to me. The same sign is in the pastor's office in a, in a closet. That verse spoke to you. You see, a lot of the stuff that God doesn't deal with you about is because you're giving God absolutely no time to talk to you. I mean, if you're spending all your evening hours on Instagram and TikTok, you're allowing the Chinese and everybody else who owns these apps to d- direct your thoughts to wherever they want to go. What you should do is turn your phone off a little bit and give God a little bit of time to think. That's why it's important to read the Bible, come to church, meditate on the preaching. That's good for you, young person. It's the devil who wants your mind on all these things that are, say, of this world. And trust me when I say this, you young people probably know better than I that the news stories and the things that are flashing across your story, sometimes you don't need to be reading and you don't need to be watching. You have to be a little bit more disciplined with your heart and your life. But the scripture says that Paul was ready to be offered. He was ready to go on. He was ready to go on and see the Lord. It, you know, the Bible talks about how that this man Paul, once he got saved, he was stoned on his first missionary journey. He talks about it in 2 Corinthians, about what he had endured, that he had spent a night in the day, uh, and a day in the deep, that he was floating on water after a shipwreck. That he was beaten with a whip several times, uh, uh, 39 times save one. He had scars. He said that he bore in his body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. This man was in and out of jail all of his life so that he could witness to people in jail and prison and kings and, and others. And he accepted that that's what God had for him. So when he was getting to the end of his life and the Lord was saying, I'm about to take your last burden away, he said, I'm ready to go. The time of my departure is at hand. So here Paul is uh, hes showing us. He's basically shining a floodlight on death. This isn't novel with me. But when someone shines a floodlight on death, if you look at this, this word departure literally means the unloosing. I've lived long enough to know that there's some things worse than someone dying quickly. Someone dying slowly is very hard. I've ministered in many nursing homes and seen people who I remember talking with a lady named Dorothy Anderson, a piano player at the Bethel Baptist Church out in Missouri. Her and her sisters were singers, and she came down with a horrible disease called diabetes. No matter what she did, no matter how much insulin she took or how many pills she took, her sugars just couldn't stay low. And at the age of 84, they cut off the bottom of one of her legs. At the age of 86, they had to cut off the other one of her legs. I ministered to her. She was a friend. She was ready to go. When they cut off her second leg, she knew it was a death sentence. She couldn't get up no more and walk. They weren't going to give her prosthetics. You know, when they, when they cut her second leg off because that leg was going to kill her from an infection, it was below the knee, I had to find where she was, and it was the week of Thanksgiving. I was trying to figure out where they put Dorothy, my friend who's gone through this terrible illness. Husband's gone. Family's gone, living in other places. And God put me as one of her ministers. I found her in another home, another nursing home. You know what she said to me the week of Thanksgiving? She looked me right in the eye and she said, I've got so much to be thankful for. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hmm. You know, earlier that week, I, I wasn't thanking God for some of the things going on in my life. And I started thinking about that. Here's a woman who's lost everything, has no family left. Now she doesn't even have her legs And the first words out of her mouth is, I've got so much to be thankful for. You know, some of God's dearest saints, when they come to the end of life, when this floodlight is shown on death, some of God's dearest saints, hey, they're not not wanting to stay any longer. Paul said, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to be offered. And he said, the time of my departure is at hand. This floodlight on death, him being on loose, this was a, a prisoner's word. The word departure it means to release, to set someone who is shut up in a dungeon to be set free, loosed, the unloosing. I was listening to about a uh, a man earlier in the week, Brother Bruce Martin, was talking about a preacher friend of mine who was in Mexico and got a little trouble when he was driving a car and somebody ran out in front of him and something happened where he wound up in jail and he had to spend two days in jail. And how Brother Martin had to drive overnight and use... use his resources in order to get that preacher out of jail. I'm sure that when my brother got out of jail, he was, thank you for loosing me. You know, hey, it's a great thing to be unloosed. I remember Dorothy, she said, I'm ready to get out of this body. Some people are in their body and they're just caged inside that body and they're just waiting to be loosed from out of there. Other people, they die. I remember a lady from this other church, I was preaching on a Wednesday night and somebody said, hey, the sister was putting her makeup on before church and she just collapsed and went on to be with the Lord. It was a t- terrible thing for their family. To, they didn't have closure and weren't able to say goodbye. But at the same time, I was dealing with Dorothy and I was thinking, wow, there's a blessing in that. Yeah. Getting ready for, well, that's pretty good, getting ready for church, huh, ladies? Yeah. Getting ready to go meet with the Lord. And that day you got to meet the Lord. <laughs> you know, if you could see them now, I'm sure they wouldn't want to come back. I'm sure Lazarus was a little upset when the Lord called him back. <laughs> Heard the one preacher say he was just getting his harp in tune. <laughs> <laughs> it was a prisoner's word. It was a farmer's word. Unloosing. It was like unloosing or unyoking, a, un-yoking a, a team of oxen after a long, hard day's work. Taking that yoke off their neck. You know, that yoke that they would put on the oxen's neck, it was a heavy yoke. And they had to get their plowing done, but when you, you took that yoke off the oxen, one of the things that the Bible says is never don't muzzle the ox who treads out the corn. Amen. Let them eat how much they want because much work is done by the, the power of an ox. It's not only a farmer's word, but it's also a warrior's word. Unloosing. The time of my departure is at hand. A warrior's word. Every, every, every real warrior comes to a time in his life if he doesn't die on the battlefield where he's going to pack up his rucksack for the last time. And I've never spent time on the battlefield I was trained to. The drill sergeants tried to prepare me for battle. But I can only picture a long-seasoned warrior who's spent time on foreign soil fighting for freedom, in our country's case, wrapping up his last rucksack, packing up all of his stuff, his guns, his his pillow, the things that mean a lot to him. You know, in my case, as a preacher, when I get ready to go meet the Lord, I'm going to pack up my Bible for the last time. There's going to come a day in my life when I shut the book for the last time. I'll never preach again. Thinking about that hurts me now. But hey, if I'm going to meet the Lord, I'm going to get to see the one who wrote the book. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the word. I thank the Lord for the word of life. But that warrior's word was, the battle's over. The tent is full or folded. The backpack is packed up. And I'm going on. I'm departing. It was a seaman's word. Sometimes the Lord has given me the opportunity to get on these large vessels out at ports. They're large as three football fields. I remember seeing my first vessel when I went to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Many years ago, they were loading it up with number two yellow corn and wheat. Where they got that wheat from, I don't know. But all I know is that there was these huge cargo holds, and my job was to take pictures of this stuff going down there and take samples out and make sure that they didn't, weren't infested with bugs. And all I know was when I got up on that ship, I realized that I was like on foreign soil in there. There's was a Greek ship captain and a bunch of other foreigners, and the way they were looking at me was like they were having something on that ship that I wasn't supposed to discover, and I wanted them to understand that I wasn't there to expect anything except for the corn and the wheat. I was representing no federal agency. I was only trying to get samples of the wheat and the corn. I wanted to put their mind at ease so that I didn't wind up in the cargo hold, buried. <laughs> yeah. And so... You know, when it came down to this seaman's word, you know, those, those men spent months and months at a time on a ship. It's not really a good career to choose to be living on a boat. And I remember talking to this one Greek captain, and he was making many, many dollars every year. And I, I said, when's the last time you've been home? He says, it's been a year and a half. I said, are you married? He said, oh, yeah, she likes the paychecks. <laughs> I, guess, I said, well, I guess she don't like you very much. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that wasn't my, my wife's idea of marriage, was not, you know, I'll see you in a year and a half, honey. <laughs> that's, uh, that's not a good thing to do, but, you know, those men who work at sea, they get to see a lot. There's going to come a time when their body can't, doesn't have the capability to get on those vessels anymore. Climbing up them stairs, they're going to be packing up for the last time. I'm ready to depart. He used to work with a guy on a roof. Name was Don Hoke, and he's up in his upper 70s now, strong as an ox, short man, very muscular, lived off his land, killed a bunch of chickens for me when I lived in Missouri with his bare hands. It was wonderful to see. I never, never knew what the term chicken with his head cut off looked like until Don Hoke came to my place. <laughs> one of the guys in my church said, I'm going to give you nine hens and one rooster, because I had a chicken coop. Now I'm from Detroit. I was a city boy. I didn't know nothing about raising <laughs> chickens. But I knew this, when those chicks got a little bit older, I knew this, I didn't have no nine hens and one rooster. I had nine roosters and one hen. And I'm not, t- I'm not kidding, that's exactly what happened. And Brother Don Hoke said, we need to get rid of those roosters and give that hen a rest throughout the wintertime. So he came over and we had chicken and dumplings in the Passover over at the Boo house. Amen. And thank the Lord for it. My wife is a great cook and the chicken and dumplings were put in the ministry, I assure you. But that's seaman's word. They're wrapping up for the last time. There was another word I heard one time, and you know, as you get older in life and you start considering the ways of life and the valleys and the winding road that life has, he said, this word is a philosopher's word. A philosopher's word in the respect that it was the untying of knots. You know, it was was an old songwriter, and we'll bring this to a close this evening. It says it's 9 o'clock over there, but I have a hard time believing I've preached that long. Somebody didn't change that clock. You might have thought I was the Apostle Paul trying to preach till midnight, and Eutychus falling out the window. Yes, yes, I understand. We were fall back this week. But the untying of knots... I forgot what I was going to say when I started talking about all that stuff. <laughs> the philosopher's. What'd you say? The philosopher's. It was a philosopher's word. Yeah, I know. I had I had a line of thinking that I was going, and I lost it when I looked at the clock. I thought, <laughs> good night. If I preach till nine o'clock, <laughs> I, u- I I usually wouldn't preach no hour and a half now. Yeah, this, he was long preaching. That Eutychus fell out the window. <laughs> You go through life, sometimes you really don't know what chapter you're living in, you know? Yeah. Life can get a little bit complicated. Mm-hmm. I sang about it a little bit tonight, you know, lately I've been looking back along life's winding road. Life's been a winding road, I'll get that phone, just bring it on up here, you owe me a pizza. <laughs> That's what we do in our church, if your phone rings once, you owe us a pizza, if it rings twice, you get the breadsticks too. <laughs> but... Uh, That winding road. Some things in life. God doesn't give it to you to understand. You ever spent time at an altar praying for something fervently and exactly what you prayed wouldn't happen did happen? You ever had a prayer like that? At my last church in in Missouri, there was a young man there, 29 years old, healthy, ran a church bus, preacher, good man, servant to the Lord. He started having pain when he was eating his food. Something came over his body called ulcerative colitis, 29 years old. Prayed fervently for him, fasted, prayed. Asked God to spare him, he's going to the hospital. His food would try to digest and he couldn't do it. It was so painful he stopped eating Doctors got in there to try to discover what was going on and they said your colon is completely eaten up with ulcers and it's about to burst. He had a child, 29. We fervently prayed for him. Lord, please, don't let this 29-year-old godly servant in our church have a colostomy bag. Surely that couldn't be what you want. Would you do a miracle for this family? Finally, he wound up at the hospital, and his, his colon was about to go in septic, they had to take it out, and they put my friend Jason on a colostomy bag, and he was going through about a severe depression at that time. For some reason, God just kept allowing my path to cross by that hospital, and every day I'd go to that hospital and try to minister to him through song, through the Word of God, through prayer. Later at his house, when he got back home, he thought he was dying, and I was trying to encourage him to fight for his family, and I was buying him ice cream that I can't eat, because if I ate it, I'd be big as a house. Ever had that Haagen-Dazs ice cream, that German ice cream, you know, coffee, toffee, crunch, and all that? Brother, I can't have it no more, but... I quit eating that stuff because of my diabetes, but I knew that Brother Jason could have it, so I started buying him all this expensive ice cream. I said, I want you to be encouraged, and I want you to eat some of this. You need to fight for your family. And he was telling me at the time that he thought the Lord was going to take him on home. I said, listen, brother, if the Lord's taking you home, then praise the Lord, you'll beat me there. I said, but let your family see you going out with some glory in your soul. The Lord ended up turning that man's captivity from him. I mean, he... He had his colon taken out, but somehow, for the procedure I'm unfamiliar with, they were able to reverse that colostomy. And Jason now walks around, functioning normally, preaching at the Mount Zion Baptist Church, and now has a second child, and he's living. I'm sure in his life, this was a trial of his faith. It was a knotty situation. I've run into some of those in my life. Where I was going was a black man named Charles Tindley, whose mother was beaten to death in front of him as a slave. He wrote some of the greatest hymns that you'll find in a hymn book. He wrote a song called, Leave it there, if the world from you withhold of its silver and its gold and you have to get along with meager fare, just remember in his word how he feeds a little bird. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. That was written by a black preacher. He wrote another song called, Trials Dark on Every Hand and You Cannot Understand. All the ways that God would lead us to that blessed promised land. But he'll guide us with his eye and we'll follow till we die and we'll understand it better by and by. Some problems you're not going to understand in life, but you'll understand it up yonder. what, What I know is that Paul in his life never allowed sacrifices. He never allowed discouragement to dissuade him from what his purpose was, which was to preach. You might remember in Acts chapter number 16, Paul and Silas were thrown into prison and they weren't at midnight telling God, hey, how come you called us into this and allowed us to preach and allow our backs to be bloodied? No, they were singing and praising God and God did great things out of that. Read the book of First Thessalonians where Paul's saying, you know, brethren, chapter number 2 of First Thessalonians, how our entrance in unto you wasn't in vain. But even as you know, we were shamefully entreated at Philippi. We were bold in our gospel to preach unto you the gospel of God. Troubles and afflictions don't come to us in our lives to make us to quit. They come to us in our lives to make us stronger. And God often is trying to teach us something we really needed to learn. And some of us wouldn't have learned any other way. Now, I don't know how the Lord's working in your life tonight. There could be somebody here who's thinking about that coming judgment, and you can say like I did at one time in my life, I'm not ready. You know, the Lord just doesn't save people on Sundays. <laughs> Preaching can get to people on a Wednesday night. And we sing a song in church called, It Was on a One Day When Jesus Saved Me, and when we get to a Sunday, I remember the day where I was at the Warren Baptist Church and knelt down the knee and received Jesus Christ, and Several of my family members have not been saved on Sunday. My son, was, my son Matthew was saved at a different day of the week at a church camp, and I remember one day we were singing. It was on a, one day at church, and when it got to like a Thursday or a Friday or a Tuesday, whichever one, I don't know, my son Matthew stood up, and i i got to be honest, brethren, I lost a little of my dignity. And I just let one go and said, so, Woo! Because I prayed for that. I prayed for people to get saved. And if God's trying to get you to a point where you receive Him, I want to tell you, don't leave here lost. You don't have to. That's right. You can get saved before you go out here. Amen. You say, but I'm not ready to get saved. I've got all my wild oats to sow. I'll get saved another day. Some other convenient day, I'll call on the Lord. You don't know you have tomorrow. Right. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. One of the churches I pastored put a commercial on TV. It was one of the greatest commercials I ever saw. It was a guy dressed up like me without a suit coat. And he was getting ready to go. He looked like Brother brother Flores over here, handsome, getting ready to go to work, getting into the bathroom late, brushing his teeth. You always should brush your teeth before you leave. <laughs> and the announcer come over the TV and he said, this man's about to die. In ten minutes he'll be tragically killed in a car wreck. He said, this man's prepared for everybody he's about to leave behind. He's got... Money saved for his children's college education. He's got life insurance for his wife. It said, but this man didn't prepare for one thing. And then it said, eternity. And then it asked a question, are you this man? Have you prepared for eternity? You ready to go out? You can be. The Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish. That all should come to repentance. The Lord wants you to be saved. In fact, He's done everything He's going to do for you to get saved. And that is, shed His blood on Calvary. He died on the cross for your sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And He promises to still work on your heart through preaching. And if He's doing that today, He's done everything He needs to do. All you've got to do is respond and receive the message of the truth. Now, if you say, I'll call on the Lord another day, I'm here to tell you, you may not know that you've got another day to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but I want to let you know that there are churches of like faith around the country who'll be ready to receive you at any time when you do get ready. But if you take your life and your soul into your own hands and you go out into eternity, you were warned. I can't want you to get saved any more than you want to get saved. I can preach to you, I can invite you, I can tell you the Lord loves you, but you got to make that decision for yourself. And you might see me looking at these young people because they got big decisions to make. But you could be sitting here as an older person and you could even be a member of the church and still need to get saved. I remember a deacon in our home church named Billy Johnson who was under conviction for weeks and he didn't want to get saved because he was saying, what will people think of me if I get saved? And one day he got over himself and ran down the aisle and nearly tackled Brother Paul McWhorter and he screamed out, I'm lost. Right. I was just a little boy, and I respected Billy Johnson. I said, good night. If he's not saved, who could be saved? He was a godly man, but you know what he was doing? He was putting on a front for all those years. I remember another man who used to play guitar with Chet Atkins. His name was Don Merriman. He's on with the Lord now. He didn't believe the Lord could forgive him. He was in Nashville, Tennessee, and married, and he made some mistakes in life, and he His wife forgave him, and he didn't feel like he was worthy of even her forgiveness, but sure didn't believe that God could forgive him. And I remember in church, hearing the preacher preach similar messages to this one, and hearing Don just moan out, calling out to God. He just didn't believe that God could forgive him, but one day God broke in on his soul, and Don got saved down at the altar. So I don't know how old you are or how young you are. One thing is for sure, if you don't know you're going to heaven when you die, you can know and you should know. And I want to invite you to know, hey, Paul said in verse 6, I'm ready. I'm ready to be offered. And he said, the time of my departure is at hand. Are you ready to go? If you're not saved, you're not ready to go. I want to tell you, some of you may be ready to go, but you got other things to do. you got some things in your house to set in order. Some of you haven't served the Lord the way you know you ought to be serving the Lord. Some of you don't have your life in a place where you'd be Happy if the Lord came back finding you in the position that you're, you're in, doing the things that you're doing. And if that's your case today, I know there's no altar down here, but there's a front row and there's a chair. I know this place probably doesn't see altar calls very often. and This wasn't a typical Wednesday night service. But how about it? If the Lord's spoken to you, why don't you just turn your chair into an altar? Somebody in here may need to get saved. And if you do need to get saved and you're a young person and you need help, when you bow the knee to the Lord, you just lift your hand up and somebody up here will be looking. They'll only come to you if you lift your hand for help. Others need to pray about other stuff. Whatever it is that God has done in your heart tonight, whatever He's working in your heart about tonight, just be obedient to Him. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Maybe the Lord's spoken to you. Maybe the Lord is wanting something from you tonight. Maybe He's spoken to you about the matter of salvation. Are you lost? Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. Won't you get saved tonight? Jesus died for you. He loves you. He says, come to me. He wants to save you. He doesn't want you to die without Him. He loved you that much. Somebody else in here may need to bow the knee and just maybe you need to pray for the church, your family, a wayward loved one. Maybe you need to pray for yourself. Lord, I want to get right with you tonight. I'm not like Paul. I'm not ready to go. I haven't been ready for service. I'm not ready for shipping out. As we play this number, whatever it is that God is. Put on the pianist's heart. Just play what God would have. We'll we'll not have singing, but we'll just have music. God spoke to you. Won't you? Won't you deal with Him? Is there anybody in here tonight that needs help? Preacher, I need to get saved. Don't know the Lord is my Savior. Let's have a word—a verse of invitation. we sing verse number four this this song's been in this book i used to use this book at one of my first churches i've never sang this song never heard this song while we pray and while we plead while you see your soul's deep need while our father calls you home will you not my brother come you've wandered far away do not risk another day do not turn from God thy face, but today accept his grace. Why not now?
1: Why not now?
0: Why not come to Jesus now? That was a question I asked one day when I got saved. And I said, yep, today's my day. I'm not waiting another minute. I'm coming to get saved. If you're lost today, come be saved. The Lord's working your heart another way as we sing this next verse. Won't you come? Yeah.
1: Christ on and peace and joy you shall be seen. Why not now, why not now, why
0: not come to Jesus now? And all the saints of God said,
1: Amen. Amen.
0: "Amen." All right. Well, I want to thank you for your kind attention tonight. We've, you know, I'd like you to stay after we close in prayer. I'd like to have a few minutes to speak to the church. If you're visiting here. You're welcome to stay. Uh, I just want to get acquainted with the church and get to know uh, one another a little bit. Introduce you to my family, who my family is, and uh, discuss with you some issues that need to be discussed with the church congregation. We're going to have a word of prayer. I'm going to call on Brother Wayne Hudson to word this prayer, and then if you'd like to stay, you're welcome to stay. If not, uh, feel free to uh, get on home and get yourself some rest. Brother Wayne, why don't you go ahead and word of, word of, have a word of prayer with us, please. Father, we just come before you
1: now. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you, Lord, for the message. Lord,
0: help us to investigate our own hearts.
1: Help us to seek your face. Help us to humble ourselves before you. Lord, the psalmist said, bring me back to that place of mercy. Yeah. Grace. Help me, Lord, right. to know the joy of your salvation. Oh, God, I pray you'd do that in each heart here tonight. I pray you'd bring us to that place that we do know. It's settled in heaven that we are your children. Mm -hmm. Lord, we can stand up and say, I'm so glad I'm a child of the King. Mm -hmm. Lord, Lord, I just ask you to take charge of each heart. Thank you for this preacher and his message tonight. Mm -hmm. I ask you to work in all that will be done here in the church. In Jesus' name I pray. Yeah, if you'd like to be seated. In-